I, I just want to be very clear. Even though I like baseball, I don't know what half of the numbers mean either. I didn't understand half of the movie. So. I had my graphing calculator out. Uh, <laughs> Did you? And it just spelled boobs. So <laughs> I don't know. I've uh, actively avoided spreadsheets as much of my life as I possibly could. So yeah, they're... I had to use them a lot at my last job. So that was fun because I hadn't really messed with them. You know Excel codes then? Mm, not anymore. No. I forgot all you, that you, as soon as want, I left. You've at one time known them. I, I knew like a couple of things. I, I am only aware that there are them. Are you talking about just like formula codes? Yeah, or? yeah. For, you put a formula in for it to do a do thing. You do yeah. all kinds of coding yeah, yeah. in Excel, I, man. I, I, yeah. It's wild. It's bananas. People, what people it is. build a whole mess of yeah. databases that they probably shouldn't be running in Excel in yeah. Excel. It's wild. And this movie takes that that and puts it with sports. <laughs> Another thing that I am pretty ambivalent about. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's compelling. Well, how does it do you that? You know what? I'm going to agree with you. It is kind of compelling as despite my, my all my efforts to not be compelled. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast. We gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film space course. This week's film is Moneyball, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, starring Brad and Lee Steve Zalian. Don't leave and, him out. And Steven Zalian. That's the reason that it's not and so damn by clunky. Bennett Miller. I like Bennett Miller. I like, no, I yeah, I like. I like. Uh, I think this is the only one of his I've seen, but I, I like he's what he's going for. My Never general rule is Capote I just list two catcher. persons so involved in the film and wherever the highest voltage. I just is. don't want to give Aaron Sorkin all the wattage on this. This doesn't feel as much of a Sorkin movie, which me. I think has a lot to do with why I like it. It's the the patter is <laughs> those are the strings. The, the patter is there, but it's not like overbearing. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, th I think that's totally fair. But by the way, I am still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And in case you're tuning in for the very first time, we want to warn you, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show. What's the difference, show. Dustin? The difference is we're going to find out whether or not they beat the streak or not. And we're going to talk about that. that oh, yes, might, they call in the streak. That might be a look spoiler uh, regarding this film. And so for analysis to take place, we're going to have to do that and mm. know what happens to Billy Bean later on and where Ron Washington goes later, who is a minor character in this film who also uses that same system this to great This baseball season happened 20 years ago. I'm not worried about spoiling it. Uh, well, um, for some, I, I think in particularly the realm of baseball, as it wanes in popularity, it might be something of a spoiler, an unknown, uh, undisputed discovered country for many i oh. have seen this movie before and had forgotten large <laughs> details about the oakland a's uh, 2002 season that uh, were relevant plot points so but we will spoil it but we will wait till the end of the show the main bulk of the show but it is towards the end and the way it works is this we have a synopsis which is spoiler free we'll have thumbs up thumbs down reviews which will be spoiler gentle at the gentlest kind of way then we're going to do a little exercise called expanding the syllabus which usually doesn't involve spoiling this movie as much as it does spoiling other movies but sometimes the spoiler is the connection so uh just be warned about that then finally some kicking music will let you know that we've gotten down to business and that business being analysis and that's when all spoiler bets are off so without any further ado mr arthur gordon would you delight us with the synopsis of moneyball please frustrated with a broken baseball system billy bean begins searching for a way to compete with the wealthiest teams after meeting peter brand billy learns about bill james and sabermetrics Using this new approach, Billy puts his career on the line and threatens to overturn the game, the culture, and the livelihood of professional baseball. Dun, dun, dun! And movies being what they are, uh, I did actually do some research this week. Uh, I can tell you that most of Arthur's synopsis is factually not true. 
<laughs> Billy B had been into Bill James for a little bit before they really started to make it a, a the bedrock yeah. of the team's like philosophy. Yeah, Peter Brand, like he... not a real person. Uh, so yeah, there's some there's some you know liberties as as we would expect, but we'll probably talk about this as a movie more as a historical document. Well, Bill James was pretty big. I mean, you know, baseball itself, you know, sort of rejected uh, Bill James's ideas regarding recruitment and, yeah. uh, you know, roster building. But uh, Bill James was real popular with fantasy baseball. Yeah. Uh, huge for fantasy baseball. And um, people really did kind of crack the yeah. code uh, with uh, how to recruit those teams based on how you put together the numbers uh, for winning. But is it quite the same thing as the chemistry of a team? I mean, you know, I mean, there's legitimate argument there about the sort of human factor, uh, the intangibles, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, too. So wild and crazy stuff, you know, fun, fun in the weeds inside baseball by definition that we're going to be playing with. today. He's going to be nerding out all hours. Oh, he's going to have so much fun. I like baseball. He does. It's a fun game. Somebody's got to <laughs> me and like six other people. <laughs> there are dozens of them. <laughs> When did it stop being America's pastime, Dustin? Before we start rolling into reviews, you're the baseball guy. Do you do you have any? Nineteen ninety seven. Was it was it uh, was it the Bulls? Did did, did the Bulls no, did the dream team take them down? It was, was football. That was one. I, I mean, yeah, football's the overtake. Football's the overtake. Well, yeah, I think it might have been earlier. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking that dynasty years, the last of those dynasty years, the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think really kind of put the nail in the coffin as far as. Um, television time yeah right and 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 so it it became and it's a very cerebral sport it's a defensive game yeah and and i mean that's the thing defensive games uh you know a zero zero outcome for soccer or for baseball is a great grueling you know interesting if you're into it kind of sport but it's not the same lower attention span kind of sport as your basketballs your footballs may happen to be baseball because it's just a more relaxing sport in my mind i can you can put on a game and just kind of chill out and there may be some exciting moments but basketball is just too frenetic i think for me i like football i think Mm -hmm. it's more action-oriented but if i just wanted to like lounge around Mm. and watch a sport it's probably gonna be baseball this is so interesting because basketball is like i don't follow it but i love watching it i think it is like yeah it's so i mean it's just really cool to watch i think soccer the same thing even though it's kind of grown on me yeah it just moves a lot yeah hockey well hockey is a pretty defensive game too yeah of course i like combat sports but that's just because it's you know it's short not very long. It's right. catharsis. It's catharsis. Yeah, a three-minute round does have a certain appeal. Well, and it's, and look, it's just something fun about watching somebody get knocked just out. Just two people try to kill each other yeah, is really yeah. well. There is something to say for the athletics of you know the having to play a game for up to five hours versus fifteen minutes. It's, right. You know, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, a different those, kind those, of game. Those extra innings don't have a cap, so you can go no. long into the night. Hey, so I mean, weird. The, the real grueling sport is cricket. There, which can go for days. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know why. Have I don't you guys under- heard of Quidditch? It can go on for just weeks at I've, a time. I've heard about that about Quidditch. Yeah. Oh, is that the sport where they're uh, super transphobic? Is that the one? That's yeah, that, the that's one. the one. That's also mixed martial arts, actually. <laughs> Fuck. There's too many of them, unfortunately. I thought you were talking about rugby, um, <laughs> which is a game I like to watch, but also slightly confounding i think i find a lot of the the european the the other english-speaking countries their their sports are it, rugby seems cool 
don't doesn't make sense this is to where me. Dalton becomes xenophobic, so we'll uh, just hang on for a second. Uh, well, uh, I'm allowed to be xenophobic well, to I other English speakers. I think xenophobia because it, the national teams are a big deal in rugby. Same so with soccer, so, though, right? So, well, there's like professional leagues within the UK, or there's professional leagues in France and Italy. But the big sort of draw are these national teams: the Welsh team, mm-hmm. the Scottish team, yeah. the Irish, English team, French team, Italian teams yeah. mm-hmm. playing each other in like the Six Nations or New Zealand team. You know, and uh, down in the Antipodean South. Do they? Does rugby have those national games more often than uh, than I know FIFA's? Obviously, you know they've got the World Cup every four years, but aren't there like qualifier games leading up they to it? They are more common. There are more like uh, sort of intramural tournaments for qualifying purposes okay. that they play in, and so there's a there's a real huge followership for them. And then each game itself is kind of a big event, so there's a there's a super boldness to every single match itself. If that okay. makes sense, and so that, that draws the eyes as far as uh, viewership goes. Well, Dustin, you've nerded out so much about this. Why don't you tell us what you think about Moneyball? I like Moneyball because, you know, baseball. But I I, I like because it's about how you do the math and working out a system to win a game that's sort of stacked against you. I like the David and Goliath of it all. I really enjoy the idea of hating the New York Yankees. Just want to stop right there. I mean, that's enough. I mean, you kind of got me there. Uh, Hating the Yankees because they can pay so much for players and they do so much poaching and trying to find a way to count cards and beat the system as the metaphor is is laid out. And so the David versus Goliathness of it all, uh, the use of math, but then making it a very, very human story about Brad Pitt. Uh, his character, Billy Bean, trying to find a way to win here while he's dealing with the struggles internally with his team. Philip Seymour Hoffman has a great turn as just the worst coach ever. Uh, but he's he's a good coach. I mean, uh, Art Howe was not pleased with Philip Seymour Hoffman's portrayal of him, apparently. Well, I imagine not, because it's not generous in no. any way. And Art Howe is an okay guy, I think, by all accounts, as far Hoff- as baseball Hoffman, manage- to keep the baseball metaphor going. Hoffman's throwing heat, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yes, he is. God, he's so good in he's this movie. He's really great at it. Um, and then seeing, just again, some a cast of characters that you know, like the the, 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 the hardly ever discussed Jeremy Giambi, uh, is just fun to see him in a baseball movie kind of role, to uh, see Ron Washington, who later went on to be a pretty impressive um, coach, or rather, um, whatever the word is for a coach in baseball. GM? No, not GM. No. He's, I don't know. But anyway, he's the main guy uh, at the Texas Rangers later. Which is my favorite baseball team. So that was kind of fun uh, to watch. But to see this movie about numbers and playing a numbers game in a stack deck kind of situation and being a David versus Goliath tale with heart works for me. Uh, Musical cues really, really work for me. The Sorkin patter when it does take place totally works uh and so yeah it's a it's a baseball movie that's a, a lot about inside baseball but it's really really accessible so for my money i thoroughly enjoy it so that's my thought what are your thoughts dalton do you like Moneyball? well i guess my review is uh the polar opposite of yours i don't really care for baseball as we as we've established uh i again i i, I see the value of it though I, I get it being the cerebral game i think that the, there's something interesting about it in that regard as you mentioned arthur there's something kind of nice about it being a a pastimey event you know it is something that goes on for a while and it's you know chatter takes place during it you don't have to be it's paying the best attention sports event to attend for yeah. that reason it, you go with people and you're actually with those people instead Communal. of like focused yeah. yeah you're not focused yeah i can't miss a moment of what happens on the court or on the field right it's you can yeah well chat. and that is the strength of this film i think is it, it helps me get sports in general but in this case specifically baseball like it does do a really 
compelling job of uh of well i rather it does a very skilled job of showing you why this sport is compelling why the stats are so interesting uh, again it's it's taking two things that are not particularly exciting off the top the sports and the math of sports mm-hmm. and it it does sell you on these being compelling it's it's also just a a very gentle film uh bennett miller really does sort of manage tone very well throughout this film as far as just keeping you uh, in in this kind of pocket of, of excitement that is also kind of tempered by reality. Um, you know, Brad Pitt has this line a couple of times, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball, but every time that, that line is delivered, it's undercut in some way. And I, I think that, that that really speaks to the ethos of this film in a lot of ways. It, it isn't, um, as much as it is about big dollar signs and big names, it is about sort of the margins of that world as well. And I, I think that is what makes this film so interesting. You've already mentioned the score, Dustin. Uh, I, I think that is one of the, the great strengths of this film mm-hmm. is this is the sort of recurring musical motif we get a couple of times. Uh, there's there's one particular string of notes that uh, Christopher tells. Oh, that's the editor. I'm so sorry. Uh, Michael Dana, uh, who I'm not really familiar with uh, his work. He also did Life of Pi, uh, Little Miss Sunshine and a Monsoon Wedding. So he's, you know, he's been around. Uh, but his, his score on this is, I, I think, one of the best elements of the film. It really does sell the sentimentality of the story without being overly saccharine, which is a pretty, pretty difficult needle to thread. Um, speaking of that, uh, it does take some pretty boring screenplay hacks that are pretty sorkney. I've been mentioning Steve Zalian so much throughout this cause I, I like Zalian's work. Um, and I, I think it's, it's interesting what he, he brings here. Um, but we of course can't talk about a Sorkin movie without talking about the Sorkinness of it. And there's definitely, as we we've discussed some of that, that patter he's so famous for in this film. Uh, but the thing that the Sorkin element that really bothered me is this, uh, the precocious, uh, daughter who knows an absurd amount about her parents' job, uh, character that does seem to be a staple of, of the Sorkin uh, writing palette. Uh, there's there's 30 Rock joke that I think about a lot. Sorkin's got a cameo in, in one episode, uh, and uh, he's talking to Liz Lemon, and he says something to the effect of uh, some blah, 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 women, you know, a gender that I write well. Uh, <laughs> so at the very least, he's aware that he's a misogynist as far as his writing goes. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's boring, and it's it doesn't totally work to hang the movie's emotional through line on mm-hmm. you and i think it's because you can tell that the movie is more interested in the relationships at the clubhouse right it's more interested in the team relationships the coaching relationships that relationship that uh billy bean and his daughter have is while cute and then like th- there is like real uh, observable heart to it i i don't think the movie's that interested in it and yet it's trying to hang so much of its emotional through line on on it. I mean, we go out on this sort of this, this sweet message from from you know child to parent. That's what the movie takes us out on, and I think the film does an okay enough job of making that compelling. But it, it always feels like such a secondary thought that when it circles back around to that relationship, it, it just it feels like it's marking time. Mm. So I, I was a little frustrated about that element of the movie. But overall, yeah, I mean uh, the win streak that the Oakland A's have during the season is a pretty, pretty big feature of the story. And there's a montage in the, you know, second third or so of the film that, that kind of, uh, addresses this winning streak. And I've just was completely sucked in by it. I got, I got it in that moment. I was like, this makes sense to me. I get why people get so invested in yep. sports. 
So if nothing else, Moneyball does work as far as selling you on its premise, both as, as far as making you care about the sport of baseball and making you understand what's interesting about the, the super insidey stuff that is sabermetrics. So, mm-hmm. you know, it succeeds more often than it fails. I like this film. Arthur, had you seen this before? I, I yeah. know Dustin's seen it a ton. I saw it when it first came out. Had, yeah. You, a I've bunch of times or just oh i've seen it several times okay okay so yeah. where, where do you uh, find on this okay oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean this is probably in the top 50 top 100 for me Whoa. Uh, I, I love money ball damn okay yeah uh, i i think it's just so well put together well assembled mm-hmm. um i don't know i mean it does that thing so well that you've already alluded to that idea of making uh this very procedural film that's about baseball it's not really a baseball movie but it focuses on baseball uh, but it makes it super compelling it really taps into that human story it speaks to a grander element of, of you know not giving up on your dreams being chasing what you're passionate about i mean there's that very human element to it that's just kind of masked by the baseball story here um i i think there's this kind of bittersweet dramatic undercurrent of, of billy bean as portrayed here in this thing that's happened to him that we've talked about on other movies, uh, the, the way the sports system eats people mm. in a way and, and can just absolutely just demolish them uh, in a sense. And I think that that is really well played out here. I think it's a great cast and not just Hill and Pitt, um, but but the guys at the at the club, right? The uh, the different scouts, like mm-hmm. there's not the to do those old uh, guys sitting around that table. Of, yeah, murder's row of character yeah. actors, but you're right that like getting all of these sort of sort of recognizable faces that you can't quite clock. Yeah. You're right. It makes it such an authentic scene. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, they feel very lived in that moment. There's that tension that's palpable between Pitt and almost everybody else at the Oakland A's. Like, it, it feels like he is on the outs with everybody there except the owner. And even the owner is just kind of letting him run amok without paying much attention to him. He's given him his budget now. He just kind of wants him out of his hair until they start losing badly. Um, and so I, I think those elements, that chemistry, I think that's shared across the set, uh, I think it is just, um, Sorkin enough uh, mm-hmm. that we get some of those kind of very stilted, not realistic lines, uh, but it still flows really well. It's good dialogue, good back and forth, good banter. Um, that introduction to Jonah Hill when he's in the room and, he goes to confront him afterwards, you know, moments like that, the moments with art, because again, Hoffman's great here. Um, I, I just love all of that so much. The music, the scoring, uh, I, I, I'm just compelled to sit through this every time I see it. I, I think it's just so well done. And, and I think Miller um, really establishes a through line. It's been so long since I've seen Capote, but I know it's feels of a pair with Foxcatcher in some ways. And so I, I think that's really cool uh, that, there's a thing that kind of happens, I think, around this time where Sorkin, even as writer, becomes kind of a central figure when people talk about the movies that he's involved in. I mean, he's got this just all right on the tails of the social network. So it, the yeah. twenty early 2010s were sort of a big comeback for him. And he's about to make his directorial debut yeah. in a couple of years. And so, it, you know, uh, it, it really does feel like he becomes the focus anytime we talk about this period of his movies. Um, but it really does feel like he has a, a good dynamic with Miller who I think reigns in that script in a way that really works um, to play to its strengths. Yeah. I've heard, I don't know if you've read the screenplay, but I was talking to a friend of the show, Nick Sanford who has, and apparently there's some very Sorkin-y uh, ranting about how people who can't get on board with sabermetrics are like religious zealots. And yeah. It's just like, okay, well we don't probably I don't ass- need that. I assume there's a 300 page yeah. copy of the script out there. <laughs> Somewhere, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think all of it comes together in a great package and I, you know, I've, 
it's, it's 10 years ago now that this came out and, and I think it just works as well now as it did then uh, and the message is as effective now as it was then so uh, yeah I love Moneyball with, uh, quite a bit all right, well, there you go, dear listener. Our biases are generally pro. We're going to move on to the part of the show we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Um, Arthur, can you explain what that's all about? Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts uh, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Oh, that's right. Um, that's exactly what we're going to do. And Dalton, I'm going to ask you to show your syllabus first. Yeah, this class is going to be focused on what I'm terming infotainment cinema, mm. which is, I, I think when this comes up, I, I think the name that immediately would come to mind for most people would be um, Adam McKay. You know, his his films, The Big Short and Vice are, are definitely firmly situated in this this type of storytelling, right? And I feel like The Big Short, while not the most inventive movie of all time, it sort of does set in stone a type of filmmaking that is mm -hmm. very sort of uh, pulpy and and poppy while still ha taking moments to inform the audience, even if it means breaking the fourth wall and stopping the movie's momentum entirely in its tracks to give you a brief explainer on what you need to know uh, about why this particular moment of a film is so interesting. So we would probably start there. I, I, I think, again... McKay's work uh, on, on The Big Short is really good, and Vice I like more than most people. Um, he's also uh, a producer on this HBO show about the Lakers in the '80s called Winning Time. Mm. That I understand, as I understand it, is definitely in sort of to, well, to stay in the sports land uh, this week. It's in the coaching tree uh, of uh, sort of what he's doing on The Big Short and Vice. These, these again, these infotainment movies, and again. Don't Look Up is sort of in this ballpark, but that's, you know, it's a satire. It's sort of set apart from these other movies McKay has made, right? It's not quite the same thing. So we would want to focus on this, again, this way that McKay goes about uh, telling a story while also informing the audience. And then we'll kind of broaden our scope. We'll look at Aaron Sorkin's work here on Moneyball, uh, but also on The Social Network and uh, his directorial features, Molly's Game and The Trial of Chicago 7. And again, in all of these, we're going to have to examine what the films get right and what they get wrong, especially when we're talking about The Trial of the Chicago 7. I, we, we don't even have time for me to talk about what that movie gets wrong, uh, but it's a lot, uh, to say the least. Uh, and I, I think that's going to be a big part of what this infotainment cinema class would be, is, is sort of looking at what is a movie's job when it comes to communicating a true story? What is it supposed to do? What is it not supposed to do? Uh, and and where, where are the shortcomings for cinema as a, a way to get across a real story uh, as opposed to just uh, escapist fantasy or, or an allegory or metaphor when we're dealing with real concrete human facts that impacted real human lives? What can movies do? Uh, which is why I, I would then we'd look at some, some films that uh, are, are less infotainmenty in the way that the big short is you know there's not uh, uh powerpoints within the, the film <laughs> per se but i think the films uh, i tanya spotlight and bombshell would also make the syllabus uh bombshell being notable as the film that made me accidentally embarrass arthur in front of a bunch of other oklahoma city film critics because uh, it made me so mad <laughs> maybe so deeply mad that uh Oh my god, I can't think of his name. The director of Austin Powers' uh, International Man of Mystery. Is it Jay Roach? Is that his name? Jay Roach, director of Bombshell, trying his damnedest to make a serious movie about sexual harassment and not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a movie that I think is troubling, but I think is useful in this class because it it 
does a lot of these infotainment tricks, and I, I think it falls short of, of making that um, that sort of breaking the narrative to give information. I, I don't think it, it totally succeeds there. Um, and I think I, Tanya, on the other hand, a, a, a film that I like quite a bit, I, I think that does a good job of stopping the narrative of the film and its tracks to give you uh, more information about characters and, and yet continues to keep up the kayfabe of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's got Margot Robbie as an older Tanya Harding giving an interview about her life. So it's, again, it's putting the actors in the roles of... Uh, of these real people, not just in the story that it's telling, but also in the research that was done for the story that was told, which I think is a very interesting feature of that film. Uh, and again, Spotlight, uh, I think is just useful as a procedural to kind of to look at how, how can these infotainment movies work as a, a, a workplace thing, more, you know, talking about process and, and just getting to the, the truth of uh, how people do their jobs as opposed to these sort of large scale again like Moneyball or uh, The Big Short which are much more focused on trying to get you quick details to, to help you get engaged with the story so again it'd be uh, this would probably be as much of a history class as it as it is a film class I think it would probably lean more towards that social sciences side of things because we probably have to do a lot of readings about each of the the subjects that we had uh, examining in film uh, because I think that's that's what the utility of this class would be really is is looking at the true stories that inspire these stories and looking at uh, who gets to be empathetic, empathized with in these films, who doesn't get to be empathized with, uh, how do these films set about telling their stories, uh, and, and who who is made a hero and who is made a villain in these real-life stories when there's no heroes or villains, really, in most of these stories, with the exception of Bombshell. I mean, Roger Ailes is a pretty uh, chopping blockable dude, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, but I, again, most of these stories have to do with you know, flawed human characters uh, that are contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why all these films are interesting because they, they try to take real human stories and, and wring Hollywood uh, storytelling out of them. And Hollywood and real life are not very similar. And, and I think that that's, uh, it's interesting to examine where those, those two clash. Uh, we might talk about a, a little bit with this later, but just in Moneyball, the stuff with the soda, not true. Like that, you know, th- you just have to add these little details to make a, a screenplay pop. And uh, life is not always quite as exciting or quite as funny as uh, movies. So I, I think that's what we would look at in this class. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what syllabus have you prepared? Uh, I would probably do something. Uh, uh, it's the the sports movie that's not about sports, um, which I think is a, a fun approach to this genre uh a lot of times sort movies you know do heavily focus on uh, the game they use that for thrills and actions and uh, a lot of montage stuff uh happening there to get you excited about where the season's going to go um but i think there are a few that do kind of tap into something a little deeper uh, and just kind of use that as an outlet hmm. to tell a bigger story and i kind of think that's where Moneyball's at so i think to start here uh would be bend it like beckham uh, which we did on the show a long yes, time ago. Really good movie. Um, which is that coming of age story that explores kind of a multicultural uh, element and aspect of, of these two women from two different backgrounds coming together over the sport that they both love and the opportunities that it affords both of them um, and the fi- family dynamics that are really at play there uh, in the 
um, maybe Indian culture uh, mm-hmm. with the the uh, one girl, uh, and then the just kind of white upper middle class. Well, of, isn't she her family a little bit more working class? If is my uh, recollection, yeah, I, I think so. Which I feel like is part of what the the movie get, gets to do a little bit with that Kira Knightley character. Yeah. So I, I I like what that does there, and just kind of exploring these two worlds that come together, uh, and and using. Uh, football as the means to do mm-hmm. that I, I think is an excellent outlet for that uh, from there uh, I'd probably pair these next two together because I think they have similar themes um, but they they both have different resolutions but the first is Bull Durham uh, with Kevin Costner uh, which is just a great movie again I think speaking to the spirit of baseball uh, why people do love it at a more existential place rather than just this game of numbers that mm-hmm. the Moneyball kind of focuses on. But uh, it, it's another movie where we see a man who is sort of seeking a place in the world and what his role is as he's kind of gotten a little old for the game. He's down in the minor leagues working and helping out and prepping the young bucks before they go to the pros. Um, and, and it really does deal with that kind of question of where I'm at in life and what's next and how do I look at that? And it kind of lands late 80s. And so it feels like it may have its pulse on kind of a downward trend in the American dream, which I think we start to kind of see fading that idea of this, you know, one that we'd be really, I think, wrestling with by the late 90s of what is the American dream. Um, it, it feels like it's kind of start tapping into that is this success all that there is, or is there something mm-hmm. else that we need to be looking for? Also an all-time great dumb guy performance from Tim Robbins in so that good. movie. He's so good. So good in that movie. Um, uh, but from there, we're going to jump into The Wrestler uh, from Aronofsky. Uh, yep. Again, about like this movie. man um, who's so passionate about this thing that is willing to give everything for it, um, even though he is past his prime and, and is at a spot. And it's it's a movie that's very authentic to its source material at a number of levels and, and just works so well to explore that kind of tragic this is all I know. This is all I love. This is where, you know, dying on my sword for this thing. And I think that's something very poetic and beautiful about that. And also very tragic as well. And it's just a kind of a classic story. You know, this hero setting out to do this quest. That is all he knows. And to avenge this lady or avenge his kingdom or whatever it might be. It feels a, a tale as old as time thematically. You're, you're sort of keying in on like part of what made me pick I Tanya as much as it's like yeah. an infotainment movie. It is yeah. like so ephemeral as far as the, like the things you love will like corrupt you if you let them, yeah. if you're not mm-hmm. careful, It'll yeah. convince you to do some things that are not good for yeah. you. And, and so I, I really like that about the wrestler. I think that kind of pairs, you know, it feels like, the, the next stage of a person who's in Bull Durham, of, of who doesn't make the right choice and does go out in a way that isn't, you know, quite what society might hope, even though it's what he thinks is, is best for himself. Um, but then what, what I really want to focus on here is a, a trifecta of films, one of them being Moneyball. Um, but I want to pair that with He Got Game and Foxcatcher, which feel like this on the surface sports trilogy of, of basketball wrestling olympic wrestling and uh baseball and all three kind of very american sports in the way that we understand them um but also three movies that speak to a much larger existential question i think and the way that spike lee ties in the americana with the sport with the way athletes are treated and what's expected of them and how that is navigated and how that really doesn't change, you know, through time. If we look at 
uh, Moneyball and even, you know, something we talked about when we talked about uh, Varsity Blues was that idea that sports culture hasn't changed, uh, but there is something very American about it in the way Spike Lee approaches it. Um, I think Moneyball has some of that as well. I, I feel like there are bits of Billy Bean in The Wrestler and in Bull Durham. Um, but this man who's so hurt and broken and jaded by a system uh, that has chewed up thousands of, of people of, of being promised the stars and then they under deliver and then they're just kind of shipped off and forgotten about. Um, I, I think there's something, you know, kind of Americana about that. Uh, and it comes to a culmination, I think, with Foxcatcher, um, which is just a one hand, very bizarre, wild story about the DuPont family and the means by which uh, people with power and money can go to to get what they want uh, and that obsession that kind of goes along with that and the manipulation there um, and, and the ripple effect that that can have on the people around. Weird how Bennett Miller found a way to make a movie that was Moneyball and Capote. It is. Mm-hmm. It Pretty, is very much. What an interesting career. Yeah. I, I, I think you know, Foxcatcher was kind of slept on and, and I really love that movie, I think it's just very incredible uh, to watch. Yeah, uh, I feel like the the showiness of the Steve Carell transformation kind of gobbled up all the other talk about yeah. that movie. Because uh, every clip I've seen of it, it makes me think, damn, this Channing Tatum performance looks great. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I've never yeah, gotten around great. to it. Ruffalo's great. I mean, Carell's great, but it is that kind of performative yeah. thing that we've come to expect from those sorts of Oscar bait performances. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, a very good movie uh, in there as well. Um, one that has, I think, a lot on its mind about Americana and American expectation and right and what, you know, America, I guess, pride in, in your country as well, I think, which is a big part of the DuPont's kind of mindset in that film and, and what that leads him to. Uh, but that's that's what I would do with this. It would be, I, I don't know, existential sport movie or something, hmm. maybe, mm. is where I would go with it. Very good, very good. Well, I was thinking, Arthur, in terms of uh, syllabi to write and modules to construct that I would increase attendance at. And so I thought, well, obviously, the sports film, a genre yes. class itself yeah. um, at the university at which we both teach. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think we might get some students showing up um, probably unprepared for what they would end up having to do. Oh, uh, someone make them work. Yeah, um, but I would figure we would do it in modules with major sports, and so I'll, I'll just talk about the baseball module uh, for now, but I would do a module on, say, rugby, and I, I think The Sporting Life by Lindsay Anderson, next to Invictus, starring Matt Damon, would be two films to use for that, do a basketball module, do a uh, uh, probably a wrestling module, because I, I think that would be important, although I wonder about the wrestler and how much I could get away with yeah. mm-hmm. with that particular film, yeah. but um, so there's that. Um, the life for the squared circles and for everybody, brother. But I think combat sports in general might be a, an easier way in. We get warrior in there. Yeah, and get warrior uh, for sure. Uh, with, you know, that kind and, and just the ways in which these and boxing itself, um, you know, because I think Rocky would have to be an important film. For, yeah, yeah, or Creed. Well, the, the one per, or and the, the one person in the spotlight's story of combat sports really does lend itself to filmmaking pretty mm-hmm. cleanly yeah so anyway that's the sort of the bigger broader shape of the class but the baseball module i think we would use this film obviously because of this the things that we're going to discuss when we get to analysis here in just a little bit but it's a great movie and it's a lot of fun and i think it's fairly enjoyable and we do have a number of baseball players at the university uh but then uh, beyond that uh i think field of dreams because of nostalgia 
and because of grief and loss, um, and because of Kevin Costner all by itself, and then for the love of the game, because there are going to be ladies in the class, and a romance film is important there for, again, just, I'm just thinking in terms of marketability here, but also the way in which, uh, for the love of the game, directed by Sam Raimi, friends, just throw that out there for you right now. I didn't know Raimi that. Wow. I didn't know he had a baseball movie. He's got a baseball movie and JK Simmons has a great turn as the general man or not the general manager, just the manager uh, for the team. That's why I was balking at coach for manager and general managers because we were uh, going back and forth between terms. But JK Simmons has a great turn as the manager of the, of the club as well. And uh, John C. Riley as the catcher uh, that works. Uh, his name's Gus that works with Kevin Costner uh, throughout the film, but it deals a lot with the ways in which, it does create this sort of isolation from other people. That pursuit of your dreams can make you into a, not a nice person at times. And sort of thinking about that kind of approach to uh, sports and sport mentality, sport success, uh, in ways that, uh, say, Bull Durham does, but probably I can get away with a little bit easier uh, in that particular film. Uh, so anyway... That's the baseball module using, again, Field of Dreams, uh, two Kevin Costner films, Field of Dreams, and uh, For the Love of the Game, all circling around uh, various aspects of baseball alongside Moneyball. You could get a league of their own in there. Hmm? You could get a league, of their, get a league of their own in there. I could get a league of their own in there, yeah. yeah. No, there's no crying in baseball, and that would be worth doing by, all by itself. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, all by themselves are reasons. Lori Petty. Lori, Lori Petty is quite good. So, good movie. And Rosie. I like Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, I mean that, that cast is just yeah. everybody. Is, Madonna's, Madonna's not every, everybody yeah. shows up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good work all the way around. So uh, maybe I would have another week of the class and go ahead and do a league of their own. Uh, yeah, I thought I might be able to pretty easily convince you of that one. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not a hard convince for me at all. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much, much longer. But I believe now is a time we get down to business. So, a long time ago, I interviewed this very nice gentleman by the name of Dan LeFebvre, who hosts this podcast called Based on a True Story. He sat down with one Will Cooper, who uh, was a clubhouse manager uh, for the Oakland Athletics in the 2002 season. He worked on. Yeah. So he he, uh, was able to speak directly to some of this movie, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Obviously... There's much made of, in this film, uh, the clashing between Billy Bean and the old school scouts. Um, as the one Will Cooper saw it, uh, there in the, the trenches, or in the dugout, as it were, uh, a little bit more professional, uh, let's say. Was it tense? Yes, according to people who were there. But uh, the, the Art Howe not even looking at Billy Bean when he enters the room stuff, that, that's apparently a little far-fetched based on what he saw anyway. Uh, he, of course, confessed, you know, he's not behind every closed door. Sure. But uh, as far as the overall mood in, in the, the organization in this season, uh, pe- people were a little bit more willing to trust Billy Bean and uh, the, I can't remember the name of the guy that Peter Brand's based on. Not somebody he poached from Cleveland. It was just a guy that he, you know, the, the team was aware that Moneyball was going to be the new philosophy for the athletics. This wasn't something that being just sprung on people. It was something they'd already been kind of working towards, excuse me, working towards in the prior season. So it, it wasn't like this 
total sea change overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but it was, you know, it was contentious, you know, it was going against conventional wisdom and that that was something that was challenging for people, but apparently a lot more professional in real life than we, uh, no, no big, uh, go fuck yourself, Billy beans from any of the scouts, uh, in real life, apparently. Well, and I mean, that's the thing about sports scouts, especially in the realm of baseball, they are numbers guys. And so a number system is going to at least speak. They're not, it's not going to be gobbledygook. It's not going to be Greek to them to say, hey, we're thinking in terms of ERA and we're thinking in terms of, you know, just times on Getting base. On base yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, th- that that will make sense. I'm like, okay, so we're buying runs. The, okay, so we we can see and see how well that works. And But they are going to have those conversations and continue to have about intangibles and, and what have you. Um, I mean, well, the David Justice stuff, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems to me that a lot of those guys would have made the argument that um, Billy Bean ends up making to David Justice later on. That's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. It's like, yeah. hey, I, I need you to be a leader here. I need you to help coach people up. Yeah. And, I mean, and they would make those arguments, scouts I mean, would. And age is a valid concern, not just because, not, not just, yeah, you're going to slow down the field, but injury your, yeah yeah your injury you know <laughs> concerns go up dramatically the older you get as well mm-hmm. so it's logical that you'd be concerned about that right and so i mean that pushback makes a lot of sense i don't know about the veracity of uh, the trades being motivated to make art how that's yeah that's as same will cooper said same thing like that's that's totally uh, an invention but it's a good bit it's some, a good bit. some of those trades were uh i can't remember which one but at least one of those trades was like art how motivated which is again part of art how not liking his depiction in this film was like mm-hmm. that was my idea what yeah. are you talking about yeah so, we gotta have a villain you, you know. have to you have to have an antagonist you have to have somebody who is fundamentally against the the protagonist right and and art how makes sense to as as a figure to to carry that role i gotta say i misremembered that part of the movie when he makes those trades um because it's after a moment where cinematically um he makes a big u-turn while driving there's a lot of these brad pitt driving scenes yeah yeah uh, and there's a lot of these brad pitt well he never watches the games and typically he may go work out or just drives right yeah and and so that's a real thing that's real uh it was known billy bean just does not watch the games which i think is a very fun detail the superstition of sports players in it's, general yeah, as well. I've Love never it. washed my underwear, you know, uh, th- that kind of whatever it is, yeah. you know, it's always gross and strange. But um, anyway, he does a U-turn there at one point uh, before he goes in and makes all these trades. And my brain had cinematically interpreted that as he gave up on the process and Jonah Hill had to talk him back into it. And so he was making the trades to get them the the tradition so you have the strength yeah that may get, this is my false memory of yeah. of that and and so his uh, sort of things fall apart moment there was not uh, really going double down to go with the system but was him giving up on it and Jonah Hill talking him back into it it's funny how our memories of movies can change yeah it's strange yeah. but uh, anyway I just I, I remember thinking that cinematically because I, I do think that's a, a missed opportunity mm. you know to use the drive itself and dead ends or u-turns or what have you you know distracting ideas and they simply are just ways to fill sort of the emotional and uh, intellectual life of Billy Bean's character which I think they, they do yeah. that well but um, because my brain went ahead and connected a dot that even wasn't there, it does seem to be a bit of a missed opportunity, formally speaking. Yeah, it feels like there's a scene, we we could use a scene of, of being doubting the system, right? Of, of doubting this new direction. And I don't, I don't feel like we, he seems pretty resolute throughout the no entire what. film. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he believes in, in the idea of, of this. Yeah. And maybe it's just because 
you know, it's compelling to write a guy that that is so convinced of his his ideas and his convictions, uh, or maybe it's just again not a focus for either of the the screenplay or the screenwriters that you know had a hand on this film. But it is interesting that we don't get any any moment of uh, oh shit, am I making a bad call? I mean, I guess we get maybe a little bit of that him and Brand talking. Uh, there's there's scenes of them talking about you know how many games can we win like how many games do we have to win yeah mm-hmm. that sort of thing but that's about well, as close as it gets yeah but and a lot more of that doubt does come i think from brand mm. as well right yeah his just sort of personal lack of confidence as yeah. jonah hill portrays just in him. general yeah yeah, mm. yeah. I, I i like that moment because it is it's that game 20 right it's they're in the streak here and that's when he does a u-turn to go back well yeah. there's there's that u-turn but there's another place where he turns around by uh it's in the daytime scene i believe where yeah he turns around to go back and watch the game because he's been called and told like this is the opportunity, but there's that. Well, there's his daughter a, calls him. Yeah, and tells him hey you need to go because they're. Well, he doesn't know what it is. Yeah, this is this is this is a Sorkin scene to me because it's yeah. his ex wife telling me she's oh, proud of yeah. him oh, and I yeah. God couldn't have rolled my eyes any harder. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's he finds they don't tell him what's going on. They just are like good job. So he turns on the radio and finds out the A's are up eleven, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course breaking his his personal superstition and going back they blow that 11 run streak or though i got i gotta say you know sorkin hate aside you know an irritation at sorkin and sorkinisms i do find it to be kind of a an emotionally charged heart moment for the film that works is that hey by the way you know we're not close anymore obviously we're divorced but um you've done a good thing you know you, you know it, it's a, well it's like later on when when billy tells um peter that he's a good egg yeah it, it, it's sort of like one of those kind of phone sure. calls you know it's like by the way you know this is this is a cool thing that you did and i recognize that even though part of all this was probably why we got divorced yeah um uh, which again was not directly spoken to but i do find despite wanting to be irritated at you know this affirmation moment from a woman you know that that sorkin seems to always need to insert i i found that moment to remain sweet if i could just stop thinking about it being sorkin i yeah if i that think makes sense on principle it works as far yeah i get exactly what you're saying and i think the fact that he talks to both of these women, his life, or the the females in his life, his his ex and his daughter, uh, you know, I, I think it it works as far as the emotional stakes of that that scene, right? And these as far, especially as far as what would convince this guy to return to watch a game, even if he like is just that's just not what he does. What would get him to break his routine? And I, I think you're right. Like it makes sense from storytelling point of view. Like that that affirmation getting him to one be curious in what's going on in the game, mm-hmm. uh, but but two convincing him uh, the support of those people in his life, convincing him to to go celebrate his success. I think it makes sense. And I, I think you're right. I think Brad Pitt sells sells that scene pretty well. Uh, yeah, I get I get what you're saying as far as it working. I want to think about another thing that what works in this movie because I I mean I'm a, I was aware of the streak and uh, it, you know it being a big deal and then sort of I know some of the rest of the story with some of these other characters and uh, the way uh, this is back into Sorkinisms a little bit here mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to think about the newsroom a little bit and what to what extent does that pleasure of knowing where the story goes work for an audience. So I'm thinking about, you know, you know that Mitt Romney's going to lose that election against Barack Obama as they're covering it in newsroom. Or you know that we're going to find out Hal Burton kind of cheaped out on some of the uh, construction materials for the Deepwater Horizon and some of these other sort of plot beats in the newsroom, which I know we don't all know as well. I, I'm aware of this thing of the show. though. That, that, that's right. it's, It was covering news that had happened like two years prior, so it could always... 
say what exactly what Aaron Sorkin thought people should have said at the time. You know? Right. Yeah. Kind of aware of that aspect. But of it. but I, I did I did find in watching the newsroom that that was really kind of an enjoyable thing. It's like, oh yeah, I, I mean, I remember the Boston bombing and the immediate sort of jump to you know, do certain things in certain ways and to cover these um, events, you know, and to elide, you know, the guy who was, uh, who happened to be Muslim, who called it in, you know, like, like there, there, there are things that were happening, you know, with some of these events and um, that again, provided a certain pleasure to the watch. Is it more fun to know, to know that they're going to get game 20 or is it, is it more in the built into the film that we don't know? Again, having had seen the film 10 years ago, whenever or whenever I saw it, I, you know, initially on its release, I had forgotten. Mm. I, you know, I'm not don't have a brain for the Oakland Athletics uh, season history, uh, let alone any baseball team. season history. in the same division as my Rangers or I wouldn't know either. Probably. <laughs> That's her. But I, I think it's so compelling. Like, it, again, it's one of a couple of montages that is so effective mm-hmm. as, as far, you know, one of Peter Brands has a monologue that that kind of scores uh, a montage of how sabermetrics work. Mm-hmm. We get a montage of them losing, uh, which features a uh, female sports reporter being uh, for a bitch, for lack of a better word, real sorkin behavior again. Mm-hmm. Uh just not great representation for women in this sports movie, which is unsurprising. But I, you know, Bull Get Durham. Shot. Bull Durham shows you. God, that was funny though. Get out of my shot is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Arthur knows exactly the scene that I'm talking about. I can't remember. She like really lays into the guy and his question dodge yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Um, just not great stuff. Uh, but again, a scene montages that are effective as far as conveying information to us, getting us from A to B as far as. We got to compress a lot of time because baseball seasons are long. I think that that the montage of the streak, like it sells how exciting it would be to be an Oakland A's fan. Right. Yeah. That poster, or, or, we may never lose again. Yeah. Right? yeah. Or just just a baseball fan in general. Yeah. Even if you're not a fan of the team that's on a historic streak, it's cool to watch. Uh, again, like that, it happened is really compelling. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, I remember watching that game, you know, their 20th win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I love, I mean, I hate the Royals, so that helped. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it was great, you know, to watch that. And it's, it it is sort of one of those moments. Is it stay? That's still the record, right? I, as far as I know, yeah, yeah, Pretty I don't cool. no, no, I don't think it's ever happened again. Yeah, I was gonna say it took them like, that long to do it again. Yeah, it took yeah. That time. years. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I was like, I doubt my baseball knowledge, but yeah, no, I don't think so. I think you know, I, I, to Dalton's point, I, I think it does come down to the craft. Uh, you know, I think of Argo as another moment of this. I know mm, how that yeah, movie's you know going to yeah. end, mm. and it is still effectively done to put me on the edge of my seat. Are they going to make it out, or you know, whatever? And even though I've seen it before, I know the ending, it's still very compelling, but it's because of how well assembled it is. And and I think especially in regards to that streak, that that montage, you know, showing us the Yankees, giving us Murderer's Row and just walking us through the history of the importance of this, how rare it's been, is just super compelling Mm -hmm. and just really does that great job of just hooking you and reeling you into this emotional story. Totally. Yeah, and I, I guess that's probably what the newsroom does because we're we're more we're more interested in what's going on with Will McAvoy and the various sort of characters while they're doing the coverage of that. But even like a movie like Titanic, where you know the boat's going to sink, right? Or uh, United ninety one, you know, where you know the plane is going to crash. There still remains a sort of pleasure in watching the way at which the film itself, the construction of those those events. Yeah. So I was I was curious to what extent you know suspense gets 
foiled, and yet we still maintain interest. I, I think it's just like any spoiler. You know, if you if you can watch a movie again that's been spoiled, Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. sure. right? You can watch that movie again. Does it work? Does it not work? And I think that's a testament to the craft of the filmmaker and, and the thing that has been assembled. Some movies, once they're spoiled, it's like, I, there's nothing else to this movie. It was just that hook or that mystery. But I think a well-told story, um, despite, you know, if you are familiar with the narrative, if you're familiar with the characters, familiar with the history, um, if it's done well, it's going to it's gonna draw you in. I mean, even if you are like me and don't, follow sports or had had watched this movie and forgotten i i think you could conceivably figure out well they're definitely going to clinch this this win streak because why else will we be spending so much movie screen time covering it i i think yeah even if you can logically piece together what a film is doing if it's doing it well and it's you know all Mm -hmm. the better it, it doesn't matter i think um, because again, if, even if the film telegraphs where it's going, if it's doing it really well and the, the emotional, uh, component is still going to be in, intact. So there, there, this rises another question, which I think this film wrestles with, which is the idea of controlling the narrative. Um, it's a, an historical question yeah. that, um, part of what Billy Bean is suggesting is it doesn't matter if this works the team does well after being gutted that this, the story will still be, you got to have marquee players uh, if we don't win the world series. Right. And sort of the idea that we've got to control the narrative of how the story is being told. Yeah. And, um, and and so I was just, I was thinking about, you know, the, the historical film and the, the attempt to, again, clamp down. This is the version of the story that we're going to now know Mm. and how film itself is an ideological process. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if there's anything we can speak to about that, about cinema in general or about well, Moneyball in particular, but go ahead. Well, I was just gonna, you know, this came up when I was doing lit. We were talking about Charles Brockton Brown, and there's a bit in there where he talks about the role of the author who as manipulator who can manipulate history. And if that's your only understanding of history, that shapes what you know, right? If, if it's a biopic about Johnny Cash, if that's the only thing you've seen about Johnny Cash, then that's the picture you're going to have of his life and his history. And, and I think it does speak to the, you know, we've talked about this before the the power of film as history tool as mm. relaying information that if if you're not careful and all you're doing is watching the movies you're going to have a very skewed very uh, hyperbolic sense of of the past and of these events and because the filmmakers have agendas yeah yeah. yeah. there's that but also you know like well I don't have time for these five people let's just roll them into one Peter Brand well this is you the know? thing that I like about um the big short, right? And that's why it's kind of would be the focus of that infotainment class I pitched is, is it does a really good job of going, Hey, we're cheating right now. Here's what really happened just real quick. So, you know, but this is what makes a good movie. And I I think honesty in media is, is really valuable. I I think when a story has takes the time to, to shout out what it's, what it's futzing as far as the facts go. I don't know. I think that's valuable. And I, I think it can be really compelling even. And I think if you have a, you know, compliance is, is a good example of this because compliance is very by the book. These are what, ha- this is what happened. Yeah. Like it doesn't take a lot of liberties. I don't it think did, with that doesn't narrative. doesn't really need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's so astounding and bizarre and then tragic on its own mm-hmm. that it can do it. But when you are trying to recount, I, I mean, a season of baseball is a, it's a nine months, right? Right. And, and so ish, you know, plus postseason. Post yeah. 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 Um, pre and post. It, it, it's a lot to condense. And so I, I think with any, based on a true story movie, what's the goal, 
right? If, if you're just telling me this to tell a story, okay, cool. I, I think with any kind of biopic or, or based on true story, it, it should try to speak to something bigger. Yeah, I think there's a couple of arguments you can make about what this speaks to. I think one thing it really does, and th- this is almost this line, there, there's a line that speaks to this directly, but it, there, there is something here about if you try to change the way a thing is being done, especially at an institutional level, the people with their hands on the reins will lose their minds if you, if you try to switch up the game on them. And I, somebody has a line that speaks to this, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I think that that's one of the things that Moneyball is really speaking to. The other thing it's really speaking to and sort of what we go out on, especially with the final scenes and the postscripts that we get about the use of Moneyball at a higher level, people with more resources are always going to take a good idea and steal it and, and use it more effectively because they have more resources to use your good idea. Uh, and, and that's that's what we see here. The Oakland Athletics does something that truly is already getting popular in baseball. The movie makes the case that the athletics are the reason it happened. But, uh, you know, there is historical fact that the, the Red Sox did offer Billy Bean a, a, just a crazy contract to come play for, or manage for them, and he turned it down. So it does speak to not only was Moneyball becoming a thing, you know, the use of sabermetrics becoming a, a real consideration for baseball, but it is, it's, it's speaking to this, the, this certainty <laughs> that, that if, if you have a good idea, somebody's going to steal it. Yeah. And I, I think that that's, it's really interesting that being, you know, chooses loyalty to his organization, uh, over money. I think that, that that's really valuable. And I, I think that's what it goes down on. Uh, whoop poorly phrased but that's i think that's what this movie's theme like one of its key themes is this dude has integrity right it isn't just about winning for him yeah it's about hating to lose (laughs) as he says but it's it's about who he's he wants to win and lose with and possibly dismantling a system that dismantled him yeah yeah dismantling this you're so right and somebody gets one of the scouts has he you know has this confrontation with one of the scouts about how he couldn't play at at the the major league level when he got scouted yeah um and we don't really ever get any confirmation out of Billy directly whether or not that's where he's coming from. But I think the, the film might make that case pretty strongly. Yeah. With, the, with the way those flashbacks are cut in, it feels like that's his one of his biggest motivators is, you know, this idea of a five tool, you know, oh, he's got a good jawline. He's going to be great behind the plate, you know, yeah. is very problematic when you promise young men to he's give got up a baseball body. Because, yeah, he's got because he gives up a full ride to Stanford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. on the possibility he might be a star. And, and this is a package that has been sold to how, you know, how many people? Yeah. And I think been that, talked out of perfectly free educations uh, and yeah, or better opportunities to go yeah. break their body just for money. Yeah. Yeah. Happened to happen to lots of people. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as you've said a couple of times this episode, Arthur, that is the story of uh, professional athletics in a lot of cases is is a, a machine that grinds up people's bodies into money and uh i mean that's that, that's where the 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 movie about sports becomes a movie about movies very quickly right, right? you can sort of see yep. right on the margins yeah. where this is a this is a little bit about movies uh for me anyway i, I think uh, or at the very least it's people who are take their field very seriously making a, a movie about people who take 
another field very seriously. So there's some cross pollination, I feel like, as far as, you know, when, when you have this, this filmmaking team assembled to tell the story of this baseball team, I, I think there's some, some cross pollination there. Uh, I would like to introduce you to the idea of Merrill metrics. Um, it's an idea of casting a film based on how many times an actor has been nominated. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Arthur, you joke, but I mean, the, the sort of, I mean, the, that's a, yeah, it's an this, obvious marketing tool, the, right? Well, the algae rhythm of it all, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the algorithming of, of media yeah. and what is popular, and what's content. going to be popular. Yeah. They've been trying to moneyball TV shows and movies for 30 years now. I mean, Netflix right. is working at it every, every, every week. And, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's their whole business model, yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's YouTube's whole business model. All right. I will so. say though, for the rest of the story bit here, um, just in terms of what Moneyball does as a thing, you know, because one of the things that is, is sort of the key, areas of conflict in the film is that you know you can't beat city hall which is the new york yankees yeah right and of course uh the red sox kind of do the yankee style of money you know because the red sox are a team that have a lot of money and uh, they do the bill james kind of thing and then yeah. go ahead and break the curse of the bambino win the yeah. first world series since like the 19 teens i forget 1914 1917 comes to mind as years but i'm not sure on they, my they've sox. got the resources to play Moneyball way more effectively than the Oakland A's. But, and the, the film sort of leaves you with that, right? Yeah. And Billy Bean is still at the at the Athletics trying to do what he can. Um, the truth of the matter is, though, there's um, pretty fair parity in terms of World Series championships in Major League Baseball really? after the time of Moneyball, that we don't see dynasties in the same kind of way, that mm-hmm. teams are able to nickel and dime their way into being able to do this. We see the Cardinals come in. We see the we see the uh, two performances by the Texas Rangers. We see the Kansas City Royals, Royals. make it there. Yeah. You know, we, we Cubs. We, the Cubs, Just yeah. Just a couple fi- years ago. Yeah, finally in, in 2017, you know, finally. But the, the, you don't see a lot of these repeat titles in those sort of glory days of you know the Yankees or the White Sox or some of these other teams yeah. that sort of just dominate the field, and so uh, Moneyball does sort of manage to even it out, uh, which I, I don't know what that works out to as far as an economic theory. Well, but. I, yeah, they um, in the interview that I listened to uh, Dan Lefebvre talking with Will Cooper over on Based on a True Story, they they got into this just a little bit uh, about how you know the the teams going to the playoffs might have. 20 wins less overall than the, the team that got the most wins might not even make it to the playoffs. So that that's interesting though, that there has been parity as, as this over the last 20 years, as mm-hmm. this has become a more popular way of managing a sports, the, these sports teams, baseball specifically. That's interesting though, that it's, it's stored, it's, had a real leveling effect on the game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, truly, you start out a season and uh, of the, you know, you know, couple dozen teams that are playing, you know, 15 of them have a shot. You know, which is wild, you know, as opposed to professional football. Like, we know six teams that are going to make it, you know. And it's college football. College, it's college. the SEC. Yeah, it's the SEC versus, you know, OU or, you know, um, some other, um, you know, uh, West Coast Can team. Can it play itself? That's kind of where we're getting at. Yeah. The SEC is only creating its own competition <laughs> at this point. Dustin, do other sports... Uh, have the the depth of st- stats Did, is there a saber metrics for football uh, i mean people play fantasy, I mean, it's called football. fantasy I football yeah but i mean you but don't hear you build a team around it yeah, yeah you don't hear about it dominating i feel like there are a lot more variables or... variables <laughs> variables uh when you're dealing with something like football or, or, or basketball i, I feel mm-hmm. like there's just way too much 
baseball is pretty much one thing happening at a time. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think basketball very much is a star sport game, though. I mean, it is is about having a key person in a role. Yeah, you know, or who can two. you build a team around to support? Right. Yeah, and yeah. I, and then, so I think it it lends itself to stars in a way that that you know baseball doesn't necessarily well, you're do. Also, now. talking five people on a court at a time versus. A, two dozen people right on a field at a time or whatever but I, I do think the financial side of football does make a big deal there you know as far as the players they can do and so i think football's kind of falling in the old place that baseball i think the most you know the the, the sport that lends itself first of all the, the the human factor the most and who's playing that day um probably is golf which is not a team sport at all and so there's a, there's a lot more variation there. You know, you don't have your Jack Nicholson's or uh, Nicholas's, sorry, or Tiger Woods's um, as you once did. And so, I mean, who's going to win this week is kind of up in the air, you know, based on just, you know, who had a fight with their wife, mm-hmm. you know, more recently. Well, and the one, one person sports, I mean, combat sports are like this, right? The favored person can lose just, I mean, mm-hmm. bad day. Mm-hmm. Anybody can win on any day if it's one person versus one person, yeah. whatever this sport, sport is, if, whether it's. You know, punching people in the face or hitting a tiny little ball across hundreds of yards. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how when you take lots of variables out, it can get, you know, very the. I don't know. I, I get what you're saying though about how it, the the human factor gets even bigger the, mm-hmm. the less people you're looking at. Uh, there's something interesting going on there. Yeah, but you can definitely play baseball much more by numbers. You know, as a result, that makes sense. Well, and I, that's kind of what I was asking. Is it just that there's more data to measure? I think so. They, and they play so many games in a season. That, I mean, that's it. Yeah. 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 I mean, the aggregate is so huge. Yeah. Right. Both in terms of the number of players and number of games. Yeah. Because yeah. what's the baseball season? 100? 162 games. Yeah. Versus Golly. 16 or I guess 15 in the NFL, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a bye week yeah. or 14. Yeah. I mean, even basketball where they play a lot of games. They play 90 it's, games in yeah, basketball. That's a lot. Of it's, it's still not close. Yeah. 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 It's, it's almost half. Yeah. God. Why? So many games. I don't get it. It's grueling. I, well, I mean, you're, yeah, there's a reason pitchers like bodies completely break. Mm-hmm. Just, you're not supposed to do that, especially yeah, not that many times. It is bad for your elbow. At that level. Yeah. Man wasn't meant to throw a 95 mile per hour fastball 100 nights a year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same with concussions and uh, football. Uh, football. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, talking about the pitching and even then we, we talked about what was the name of the pitcher that they, they pulled in the guy that was a submarine. Chad pitch. Anderson. Chad right. Anderson. Thank you. Um, you mean in the movie? In the movie. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, again, a thing that ends up working out. Dom Tra Willis is uh, a pitcher for the Florida Marlins. Mm-hmm. They won their first ever um, world series with his pitching arm. And he's another guy that throws from basically his throws ankles. real weird. Yeah. throws from his ankle basically. And uh, that was part of the, uh, the Story. math yeah. of how that that team was able to you know get a Vaughn Rodriguez and a couple of other like on their way outs and uh, a new handful of new kind of unknown up and comers and you know the Florida Marlins of all the teams and an expansion team wins a World Series. Well, let's circle back here because you brought this up earlier and I think it's where we we might want to maybe wrap up. Is there an intangible to a team like a baseball team? Is there this? magic you, this you know this is kind of the commentary in the movie is this 20 day streak i mean the 20 game streak is just impossible mm-hmm. no math no science could form i mean this was just a they're at this point in history they are this destined for the, i mean is there is you know what does that intangible look like i mean when you have a team and this is kind of the draw of march madness right when you seed a 64 against a one like those 64 could win 
because mm-hmm. they're hungry or, or, or you know, or, or number one just has a bad day. I mean, right. is there an intangible? I think for baseball, the big intangible, and I think this is why the Yankees, um, since the early 2000 aughts, have really failed overwhelmingly, is um, there are teams that are just there for a paycheck. And they're there to, to make their money and to do their job. And they're teams that are having fun. And what I've noticed, it seems to me that the teams that really gel the most, that they're, they're, their clubhouse is the most fun. And, of course, winning is fun. So you've got to make sure that you've got some of those. So we can have a lot of fun guys together, and they're all playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they just want to, you know. Goof off. Yeah, well, because it, it's just terrible, and we're not going to win here. Yeah. You know, so there are times like that. But as long as there is uh, an ability to be around 500, to win as many as you're losing, and they're having a good time, they'll win more. It, that's what it seems to me is that the the, fu- the fun factor. These 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 country boys getting along, you know, and boys from you know the Dominican Republic yeah. as well. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But the these these just it's a community. Of, this community yeah. of kids just having a good time together. That seems to be the X factor more yeah. than anything. United across nation and color and creed by this little stitch by this ball. game for children. It's a kids' game, which which ball. I like that they talk about, right? Yeah, you either have to give it up at eighteen or you have to give it up at forty, but we all got to give it up. Mm-hmm. And the, there is something there, right, about uh, all endeavors. You know, yeah, with, it could be movie, maybe I'm mean, podcasting. Podcasting, yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna go. I was gonna go to movie making because the the analogies are so easy, as we were talking about earlier. But yeah, yeah there there always comes a point where you have to give something up, and uh, I, I think it's interesting that they they spend so much time talking about that idea in Moneyball. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. It's it's one of the one of the things that I like most about the movie, or one of the recurring motifs I, I liked the most is is uh, just this idea that it's not going to last forever. And uh, you're right though that there's there's magic sometimes, and sometimes it's a 20 game win streak, and sometimes it's a movie about baseball and statistics that's way more compelling than it has any reason to be. Mm-hmm. All right, I think it's about time we probably ought to pull this on into the station and render a verdict. This is going as long as extra innings at this point. Uh, so with that, uh, what do you say? What's your verdict? Shelf or trash for Moneyball, Arthur? Uh, it's, it's shelfable. Very, very easily shelfable. It's easy decision for me. Oh, uh, yeah, there was no suspense on that. Uh, moving on to you, Dalton. Shelf or trash for Moneyball? Well, much as I like Brad Pitt's eating choices, uh, <laughs> God, does this man eat on screen? He he loves doing it. It's it's such a it's a character choice every time he does it. But he, whether it's an oceans movie or it's Moneyball, is there a is there a longer running bit from an actor th- than Brad Pitt and eating? I don't think so. I, I can't wait to go see The Lost City because I want to see if he eats anything in that movie. I think it's probably. Or is bu- there a Brad Pitt eats Twitter account? Well, look, I know this. Even in the trailer for Bullet Train, he drinks a fizzy water. So drinking, eating, yeah. Brad Pitt shoving a Twinkie down as his gob aside. It's so good. It's so well, and you know, it's probably for him. He probably look at that guy. He's got the popcorn in the he, coffee filter on his oh, desk. So funny. But look at that man's abs. He doesn't eat Twinkies very often. <laughs> so I'm sure it was a great day for him too. Uh, no, I, I I like this movie a lot, but I don't. Yeah, we need to do another take, guys. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I think I need another one. Uh, it's a very light trashing from me, and and it's you know it's nothing against the movie. I think the movie is very compelling. I, you know, I just don't, it's, at the end of the day, it's about a bunch of rich people <laughs> playing a children's game. And I, you know, I just know how valuable that is. Uh, but, you know, that's movies in general. So, again, I, I, I see why Arthur shelved it. Another week I might have shelved this. So it's a very, very light trashing because I think it is uh, a really compelling movie. Uh, well made. For sure. Dustin, what about you? I, I think for me personally, it would be a shelfer. But I have to say, you know, in sort of an objective kind of way, I mean... 
if I was building a class for sports, you know, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I love this movie so much. But I, I I'm kind of with you a little bit, Dalton. I mean, I, I really, really want to say it's for everyone's shelf. But I would say probably not. I mean, it's my shelf. I, I really like it because I like everything that it does, and I'm connected to it uh, because of my own por- personal fandom of baseball. But, you know, no, I mean, probably very gently uh, for the general listener is what my recommendation Sam, is Sam, I'm not mad at this movie yeah, by any stretch of the it. imagination. Yeah, I don't love it, but I, I you know, I... Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, I, I could have just as easily shelved it. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah, I, re- I really want to, but I, I can't sort of like objectively say, hey, everyone who's listening to our show, this is one that I definitely think everyone has to buy. I, I can't quite get there with it. Totally. You know? Totally. But um, if you like baseball at all, then this is for you. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts, um, pro and con, regarding the movie Moneyball. Um, you can be part of the conversation via social media. Dalton will tell you how. That's right. If you want to be part of this conversation, you can find us on Twitter over at Good Trash Media. That's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. There's absolutely no reason to visit that website if you're not already on it. Uh, if you are there, though, that's where you can follow us. Uh, find links to the show, links to other shows in our orbit, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, if you want to send us uh, long form of feedback, you can email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That's the name of the show you're listening to, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Um, also, if you subscribe to this show and your, your podcatcher feed, guess what? You get another show for free right now uh arthur started doing some uh, new movie reviews the garbage shoot you might have seen them pop up but just a reminder you got a second show in your feed right now for free uh i did one uh with a very special guest on power of the dog so yeah we got a whole second thing going right now uh check out those garbage shoot episodes if you want to hear what arthur thought about nightmare alley and 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 the batman and what i thought about power of the doge uh anyway that's what you can find us uh, uh, in your Twitter feeds, not your Twitter feeds, your podcatcher feeds, uh, doing a couple of other things besides our regular bit. Um, last but certainly not least, if you want to support us financially, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Um, we're not making bonus content right now, but there's a ton of back catalog and there's a, you know, a little mailing list you can become a part of and get uh, some Blu-ray sent to your house based on curated uh, based on your tastes and your preferences of actors and films. Uh, it's a pretty cool Arthurtron 9000 we've got over here. We just put data in and movies come out. It's our own little movie ball, if you will. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. That's the Arthurtron 9000. He'll sing you a little song about daisies if you ask him real nice. Uh, <laughs> once again, that's Patreon. I'm just a little bit. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM again if you want to help us out. No pressure, though. Uh, that's it, Dustin. Arthur, we're probably going to do yeah, another Arthur one, Tron, right? curate us a movie now. Yeah. Is, is that what you're going to do? Well, speaking of Patreon, next week we have a Patreon pick from our good friend Brigham. That's Patreon. It's listener pick again already? It is. It's, we were just racking them up here. Jeez. All right. It's, well, what are we talking about? Well, a few years ago, he had us finish John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. Oh, he right did. on. Right so on. next week, he thought we should complete the William Peter Blatty Faith Trifecta with the 1980 Stacy Keach starring Ninth Configuration. The Ninth Configuration. Is that, oh, wait. No, no, no. I do. This is another William. Okay. Okay. Okay, William Peter Blatty directed Exorcist this, right? Three. It was feature. Yeah. So, That's what's right. the other film in the 
The Exorcist. I the think, Exorcist. Oh, because okay, because he's the screenwriter for that. Okay. Yeah, and we so, did a, a Exorcist bonus episode a million years ago. So yeah. the, the trilogy is a freaking directed but bloody written, and then the bloody written and directed, and now the third film being the ninth configuration starring Stacy Keach. I'm just yes. putting I'm just putting together what the actual you're connecting those dots correctly. The marathon is itself. And, yeah, we're pulling down a cork board in our yarn, of course. And I don't know this movie at all. Are I don't either. It's over on Shutter, I believe. So. Uh, We'll, we'll give it a watch. Spooky. Shuddering already. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Um, you keep watching. We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Yeah.